the same way. There's a lot of crazy uh, Kraken, Linwood, um, Alex Jones type conspiracy stuff um, about the about the you know the the, the election, the, the election, Trump election, all that kind of stuff, and what went on. Uh, that takes it too far. There's a lot of stuff on the way about there about COVID that takes it too far as well. But there's still a lot of, I think most of it, um, on different kind of people with different uh, uh, social media accounts, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube and stuff. Different doctors who have spoken out have you know summarized the the problems with the entire COVID situation and the narrative around COVID uh, that it's you know. And it's not what people are being told it is, basically. Uh doesn't mean there isn't a virus, but it's primarily these people have a problem, and right, rightfully so, have a problem, not just them, but a lot of people in, in most countries that are subjected to these restrictions, they have a problem with the restrictions, with the lockdowns. Absolutely, the protests going on everywhere. And the ways in which the government is handling it. And there's, it's not just that people are like, we don't like lockdowns, we're pissed off, let's have a protest. It's more that a lot of those people know, you know, have data, and have va- valid or solid arguments against the way uh, the government has proceeded with handling this so-called, I shouldn't say so-called pandemic. I don't think it's a pandemic. I think it was an epidemic. I mean, calling it a pandemic probably isn't really accurate because it was very different in different countries. A pandemic is like, it's the way it's spun today anyway. It's global, it's worldwide. When it's obviously very different in each country. So you have to look at each, each specific country, look at all the data for that country, and then decide whether it was an epidemic or not. And there's an argument to say that, the, yes, certainly there was an epidemic in a lot of countries. But calling it a pandemic just doesn't, it doesn't work because there are certain countries that were you know, virtually free of, of the virus, didn't have very little experience of it at all, and other countries that quickly got over it and, it was gone, you know what I mean? So it's not a pandemic where it's like circling the world and having exactly the same effects or very similar effects on people all around the world. It's not true. Um, so it's a series, of, it's an ep- epidemic in different countries, you know. Um, so, yeah. How... You the, the thing I, I don't understand is we've got... The, the dissenting views are so numerous... And so highly qualified, many of them informally in government themselves. Mm-hmm. These people are not just um, lay people like ourselves who can look at the numbers and come to a rational point of view mm-hmm. that is a counter argument to the prevailing one. These people have clout. Uh, some mm. of them, some of them are in organisations like the World Health Organisation. Yeah, that guy Navarro, I think his his name is the British guy. Yeah pleading in December or November, pleading with national yeah. governments to stop the lockdown. Stop using lockdowns, yeah. This is not our policy not from the World, World Health, Health Organization. Organization. Right. So what are you doing? He's saying to them on TV. Yeah. And yet it persists. It's Yeah, well, the genesis, I think, of the whole thing that they've kept going from the very beginning uh, was the, uh, the cause or the source of the problem was the very beginning was the hysteria that dominated back in March and April, or you could say was, you know, I don't know if it was deliberately produced or not, but it it, it dominated uh, most of Christendom, if you like to say it, most of the Western world um, and most of the world, really. Um, 
the hysteria around this being a deadly virus. You know, I mean, there were remember the very beginning there were images of uh, people dropping dead in the street in China and stuff, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Uh, so, and then they just went with it. They maybe they're initially they they weren't sure. And I think the most rational. I mean, for me, this is just my opinion, but and it but it's backed up by um, a lot of early research into this virus that was done both in China and in Europe that it was it did look rather strange to a lot of epidemiologists and biochemists who were looking at it initially it looked strange to them now you can say that after the fact they realized that it wasn't man-made but initially a lot of them there were a lot of people who looked who looked at it and put it out and published papers and and made public statements that yeah. It didn't look natural, like a natural mutation of a, another coronavirus. And, uh, and that yeah. the French guy, the guy who got a Nobel Prize right. for cracking the AIDS right. virus, he was on TV here in France saying, yeah. I know, it must be man-made, and yeah. he gave his reasons. Right. <laughs> people this year were like, what? Right, so, peop- so, so government, you know, and people in government, health authorities and their scientific advisors, all that kind of stuff, who prob- probably knew that or came across that information and, you know, uh, assumed it was possibly true at the beginning all freaked out because of course if you come across a virus that has been tinkered with obviously tinkered with by human hands the only hands that can really tinker with it right then you're going to immediately go biowarfare uh, at least as a possibility yes if you see that so you're thinking you've got to err on the side of caution and go full full bore you know biochemical uh, attack response and that seems to have been what happened initially, um, but then fairly quickly. And sure, maybe maybe that didn't go away. Maybe some people in certain circles still are, you know, fairly convinced that it was man-made. But once, especially with the experience in China and a lot of the work that the Chinese had done on it, they realized very quickly that it wasn't really a deadly pathogen. Even if it was man-made, they weren't. It wasn't a deadly pathogen in the sense of you know, the Black Plague or even the Spanish flu or anything anything close to that. Yeah. They knew fairly quickly from Chinese uh, studies that it was primarily a danger, uh, a health risk or a risk of, uh, a mortal risk to uh, the, the same demographic that the flu is deadly to. Yeah. Which is primarily older people, uh, people at or around the, uh, age of you know the the normal life expectancy age, uh, who and also most importantly who are in, Ill, in pretty bad health. Um, so given that 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 was known fairly early on, uh, at least from like I said from China from China studies of the, for the from the experience of the Chinese and what they had been saying, and then it was shown very quickly that that was the people in in, in Western countries uh, who also were vulnerable to it. So at that point then sure it gets very complicated in terms of did should they have modified their policies in terms of how they how they dealt with it a lot of people have been saying all along that well in that case isolate the vulnerable if you really want to uh, protect those people isolate those people the, the the people who are who do test positive for it or who are not even people who test positive for it but rather the people who are vulnerable to it like isolate the the very vulnerable and sadly people in care homes people with uh, and in bad health and people at home living in their own homes in bad in bad health keep them lock them down basically give them lots of care but leave the rest of the population alone because it's not dangerous to them and um and in, in that sense i mean that's the single 
best argument that I, I have never, I haven't seen anybody really refute in any, in any mm, serious way or any meaningful way is that the policy should always have been to isolate the people who are vulnerable and let natural herd immunity spread through the healthy population. And that's how you turn this virus into, uh, make it join the ranks of the common cold, the other coronavirus that caused the common cold or, or the flu virus. It, it very quickly becomes um, uh, just, you know, because the way it kind of works is when you, when you get exposed to a virus, your immune system, all the different parts of your immune system, different cells that, <coughs> cells and, uh, that make up your immune system uh, and antibodies, etc., they basically break down a virus. They chop it up into many different pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of constituent parts, recognizable parts. It's quite an intelligent... It's, it's amazingly how, how intelligent it, 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 it seems to be whenever you actually look into how your immune system works and how your body works in general. But your immune system chops it up into pieces and then they basically, it's like a, what do you call those in, in a police, a police lineup. Yeah. So it lines them up and there are different cells in your, that are part of your immune system that look at, look at all the different parts and memorize them and says, okay, got your number, got your number, got your number. And that's basically then how they recognize any part of that virus. Different, par- different parts of your, immu- different cells in your immune system are able then to recognize um, not just that virus, but any time it mutates because any mutation that happens later on and mutations do happen obviously uh, in that virus the mutations would only be quite quite small there would only be small mutations uh, in in the in the virus small parts of the virus would change uh, in in the genetic code would would change only very slightly leaving the rest of it the same as it was before and meaning that the your immune uh, cells that recognized it would still recognize it even if it only mutated a slight a small amount which they all only do mutate right. generally speaking you only mutate a small amount and also when mutations happen the mutations are usually deleterious the kind of general direction that mutations go in for viruses is that it become more transmissible transmissible but less uh, deadly less um, dangerous less less lethal less, right. less less good at doing the job that they set out to do which is like you know invade other shells they become less able to do that and that's how they then join the like I said, the ranks of the normal seasonal flu-like viruses, colds and, 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 and flu viruses, that any virus like that would come along would join those ranks eventually after being subjected to this uh, process of um, in the bodies of the majority of the population where it's broken down, recognised, and then all those people get immunity to it. And once they get immunity to it, the next time they come in contact with it, the virus doesn't get a chance that their immune system immediately responds, recognizes, responds, and takes care of it very quickly. And then, and because it's not re- reproducing in your body because it's being killed off, it can't, it can't. You're, you're not transmissible. You can't transmit it to anybody. So all those people who have been isolating uh, because they're vulnerable can come back out of their homes as soon as that kind of herd immunity has been achieved. And this is hundred-year-old yeah, science. You just read the book to me. I'm, uh, yeah, and they but know that's, this. That's what they've been doing for one hundred years. But for some reason. And I'm giving them an out in a certain sense, like I said, with initially yeah. they thought it was a man-made, a man-made virus and therefore possibly a bio, bioweapon attack from somewhere. And uh, they went crazy. But then it seems that for some reason they didn't stop with that extreme reaction and kept it going and have kept it going for, for, for nine months now, more than nine months. Yeah. And, um, and of course that has had a very bad effect on, 
on, on hospitals, that kind of hysteria that they've allowed to continue has had a, a bad effect on, on, on the healthcare system. As a whole, not just dealing with this. Right, because it's still being presented as this deadly virus to everybody when it's not deadly to everybody. It's it's only, like I said, it's only deadly, only a danger to a very small percentage of the population. But you have, you know, all through, from March and April, you've had uh, hospitals being kind of, a lot of staff being sent home. um, To protect them from contracting. To protect, well, protect the staff from getting it and also protect anybody in the hospital from you know basically stop the transmission you know <clears throat> part of it like the same in the same yeah. way in the same way people were told that uh lock down and self-isolate not see their friends and family and stuff like that similar policy was instituted in hospitals to the to the greatest extent possible you know in order to stop the contact between people between members of the hospital staff and hospital staff and patients and stuff on the in the belief that this was something that was just going to you know sweep through the community back in April and May they sent uh, en masse sent large numbers of people from in the UK and in other countries in, in Spain and France and the US and, and pretty much all the countries concerned they sent um, elderly people who were in hospital for whatever illness they had back to their care homes or their residential homes uh, and they said explicitly in anticipation of a wave of COVID patients, people coming down with serious COVID symptoms of all ages. That's why they set up uh, the, they called them the Nightingale Hospitals in the UK. They repurposed a conference centre and put like five, 500 beds in it with a possibility for like 5,000 or something like that. And there were several of those in the US as well. <clears throat> and several of them are in the UK. And the it, ship in New York Harbour? The ship in New York Harbour. And it never came. And the bizarre thing is that they knew at that stage that it was not going to come, that there was not going to be large numbers of young people or people of all ages uh, who were going to come down with this. But, and I mean, that was proven. Um, so that's one thing they did. And as a result of that, I mean, what happened was they, you know, they emptied hospitals of elderly people who were frail and in need of health care uh, in anticipation of having to treat a lot of young people. And obviously young people, from the government's point of view, young people are more important than older older people, you know. Older, older people... From a government statistician point of view, they're uh, dry tinder. They're going to burn up any time now anyway, so there's no point in spending too much resources on them, so they send them back home. And they don't generate tax. Right, but I mean, at the very least, those people do get health care while they're still alive. But in this case, because of the hysteria, they got no health care because they were sent back home. And because it was COVID, a pandemic, a, a viral virus, you know, circulating around, they had to be isolated. They had to be left alone. And if we go back to the, the list there, Scotty, there's... Um, there's one that we you just had up there, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, there's that part, but uh, yeah, one of those, yeah, tw- twenty four thousand. Those two actually. Um, what's the first one there? Twenty twenty. Okay, not that one. So go to the next one and the following one. That one, forty thousand extra deaths at home in England and Wales since the pandemic began. Now, if you scroll down a little bit, it says right there in the second paragraph, I think, or is it the first paragraph? Uh, of this number, third paragraph, of this number, so 40,000 plus, of this number, just 3,881 were deaths directly involving COVID-19. So there were 40,000 excess deaths in care homes, extra deaths compared to the average over the past number of years, this this year, in, in, and primarily in, not just in March, April, and May, but throughout the year, but there was obviously a spike in, in March and April, but it continued on. But a lot of those deaths, yeah, are 
were, as a result of that hysterical move at the beginning to throw people, all of these people who died in their homes and in care homes, out of hospital where they were getting treated and needing, needing or needed ongoing treatment. And they sent them home and left them there. And to the point where the doctors, doctors wouldn't even go near them because they were afraid of giving them COVID. Oh, no. uh, or, or or spreading COVID or whatever they they basically were left on their own in care homes and in the residential homes and and they and a lot of them as you can see forty thousand of them died. Uh, go back to the articles are against Scotty. I mean, just to, that's that's there's twenty four thousand excess in care home de- care home deaths and then the other the first one just before that was forty thousand uh, deaths. Yeah. Oh, sorry, what was the other one? The first one maybe? Yeah, forty thousand extra deaths at home. So this is specifically in residential houses, and the other one was so forty thousand in residential houses, of which forty thirty seven thousand were not COVID related, and twenty four thousand in care homes that were not COVID related. Because if you go, there's one there that begins with BMJ, um, is that one? Yeah, that's from earlier this year, um, and that's the British Medical Journal, <coughs> uh, which is based in Oxford University, or sorry, Cambridge University in England, and. Only a third of the excess deaths in the community in England, this is uh, in the community in England and Wales, can be explained by COVID-19. New data have shown. Uh, at, at the bottom there, yeah, at a briefing hosted by the science media, yeah, that one right there, The uh, this is David Spiegelhalter, who's a very famous kind of statistician in, in the UK, Um explained that over the past five weeks, that's from May, sometime in May, care homes and other community settings had had to deal with a staggering burden of 30,000 more deaths than would normally be inspected as patients were moved out of hospitals that were anticipating high demand for beds. Of those 30,000, only 10,000 had had COVID specified on the death certificate. So that's 20,000. That's similar to the other 24. So there you have 40,000 excess deaths non-COVID related in homes and you have 24,000 because that other article is bit more updated that's a total of 64,000 excess deaths this this year and probably more by now because those are a few months old that that data there's probably more um but then what I can understand is that well what I the only conclusion I can draw what the conclusion I have to draw is that the official stats show that this year because now they have them for because we're into a new year for last year this is in the UK there were 90,000 excess deaths compared to what would be expected or from the average over the past few years. So 90,000 excess deaths is their, their total for last year. And of those we've seen in the, in the articles I just gave you, uh, 64,000 were not COVID-related, but lockdown-related or lockdown effects-related. Not just lockdown in, in the sense of lockdown and the effects it has on the healthcare system and the... Um, and, and providing primary health care to, to vulnerable people. Yeah. So, the, I mean... It's as if the cure is, is worse than the disease. Yeah. And the heart, But uh, what I can't understand is how they don't see this, you know, and why they continue on. Maybe you could say that they made a big I, mistake, I they messed up big time, and they're trying to ease themselves out of it now and hope it goes away, you know, basically hope that um, nobody notices. Politically, the all there. Politically, we're in too <clears> deep now. We have to ease ourselves out of it. But the... They don't, they don't seem to be easing themselves. Uh, we'll see yet. That's why I was wondering, you know, with Trump gone and the old order restored, mm. normality 
as certain people see it restored, maybe now there'll be some backing away from it. Yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah. Cautiously. Of course, they're never going to admit to having done anything fatally wrong. I've seen some... I mean, so, there's, there's been some contrition. Well, well, come on, hang on. We didn't know. There have been, you know, op-eds in mainstream papers and where, yes, that was wrong, this was wrong. But we didn't know because there was a global pandemic and there was panic everywhere. And you can almost... I, I can give them a bit of an out. Not a complete out, per se, but I can at least see where the scales weigh up. Because... If you have a panicked population, and it's it's of no doing of your own as a government, it's because they're hearing from international media about a situation. Your population is spooked already. You have to at least look like you're taking this seriously. Yeah. I mean, there have been countries where they didn't take any of this seriously, and they had consequences. Um, the one that comes to mind is Belarus last summer. Now... It's complex because Belarus was probably subject to foreign interference. They certainly claimed that, the, the president there, Lukashenko. Um, but when you get foreign interference, it can only amplify something that's already current in a population. And it was interesting that in the hundreds of thousands of people who did protest against their election last summer, you could see many of them were wearing masks on the streets. This is a population that was explicitly told the opposite. Don't wear masks. Right. Don't mind any of this stuff. Yeah. There's foreign shenanigans going on. Mm -hmm. Lukashenko more or less said it's a scamdemic or it's a fake pandemic, yeah. etc. But much of his population responded not to him. They went with their, the appearance of what was going on internationally. Mm -hmm. And so when they protested, they were wearing hygiene, the hygienic masks. Mm -hmm. They weren't exactly social distancing because they were thronging the streets. Right. But they were signaling that they were taking this much more seriously than their yeah. own government. Yeah. So, so I suppose the point I'm making is that it's kind of you're between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. It's to some extent, if you're in government or media or some position of responsibility mm -hmm. and the, the cat is already out of the bag, even if that cat is actually just a, you know a cute little kitty uh, presents no real danger or threat to anyone. Yeah, it's already given the impression of being the Black Death. Yeah, so they're they're acting on that. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean there is a narrative, but it's 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 like like I said, it goes back to the hysteria that was promoted and was put out there, and I have questions over whether or not anybody actually whether. The governments actually knew that, um, and I think they did. The data was there. I know they should have known, let's say, at the very least, they should have known that, that the hysteria was unwarranted and all the, all the policies they put in place as a result of that hysteria about it being deadly pandemic to everybody <coughs> uh, was what is what caused has caused so much suffering and so many, so many deaths, so many unnecessary deaths, you know. Um, but if you just go back to the list there, Scotty, um, yeah, just... Scroll, give me that one. Yeah, that, that one, for example, <coughs> this is in Northern Ireland. 2,700 Northern Ireland health workers are self-isolating. Now, those are 2,700 uh, health workers, i.e. nurses, doctors, GPs, everything, um, are not available in Northern Ireland, which isn't a big place. Population 1.5 <coughs> million. 1.5 million. Um, 
because they and that, they're self isolating because they've had a PCR test, a PCR test at, that that has these uh, you know that they they put through you know dozens of cycles to the point where it'll pick up anything and they're very unreliable and there's been a lot of stuff on 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 the PCR test being unreliable and a lot most people who have a positive PCR test have very mild or no symptoms whatsoever uh, and if they have no symptoms they're not they're not contagious they're not transmitting anything to anybody else just go back again Scotty keep it on that uh, on that list uh, yeah so and then scroll along another example is <coughs> that we can get into well so so they messed up the healthcare system basically by throwing people out of hospitals and also throwing the staff out of hospitals and then when you hear that um, do you have do you have one there called the I think you do no no maybe you don't have this link the Dairy Journal no uh, let me give you let me give you this one to put up um, this is what this one kind of piqued my my interest um, it's from uh, October this year and it's uh, from a city in, in Northern Ireland called Derry and it's a doctor saying that the hospital was like a war zone with COVID patients and this is in uh, and he goes on to say blah 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 um, that this was in October uh, this last year and that it was like a war zone this is the, the headline of the article is like a war zone right so I thought well I can actually find the data for that hospital <clears throat> well, I can ask for the data. So I, it was a freedom of information request. I asked for the data for admissions, i.e. how many many patients were were in the hospital. Uh, I wanted to know for that month to see if it was true that it was like a war zone. The yeah. hospital would have been, mm-hmm. they would have been falling out the windows, right? It would have Inundated been over, overflowing. People. But if you go to uh, the PD, PDF, Scotty, um, on the pop-up, I don't know if you have it open, do you? Yeah, so there's the freedom, it's the Western Health and Social Care Trust, and that's my request. I just wanted accurate data on the number of monthly admissions to Alton Galvin. That's the hospital dairy during the period. I wanted three, the past four years, basically, 2017 to 2020. And so they just recorded that and scrolled down. Uh, yeah, keep going. Keep going, keep going. So there you have uh, 2017, 18, 19, and 20 in the admissions. And if you look at the total for the year down the bottom, to give you an idea, uh, 2020 compared to previous years, it's... Uh, Overall, it's about 30% less on uh, 2020 admissions, admissions plus day cases, compared to the previous three years. And if you go to specifically to October, just on that uh, 2020 admissions, for example, in October there, you see that it's 1810, which again is about 30% less. You go across there, you see two, over 2,000 for all of the others, or almost 2,000 in, uh, yeah, over pr- pretty much over 2,000 for all of the others. So it's about 30% less. <coughs> uh, overall down in that month of October for that hospital. So why were the doctors... So why was he it? saying it's a, 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 um, a war zone? It can't be. Well, this is part of the problem. What they did, because of their hysteria around this virus, still believing in October this year, and still to this day, believing that it's something that is going is deadly to a large number of... Uh, a big spread of the population, including young people, children, everybody, that they're all going to be the walking dead coming into hospitals. Uh, they since March and April at the beginning, they set up, uh, they emptied a lot of hospitals in a certain sense. Well, they emptied them of patients and and removed a lot of staff as well, um, especially when they started testing them. And if they tested positive, then they had to stay at home so they didn't transmit it. But they designated certain hospitals, and this happened across the world, across the Western world in particular. They designated certain hospitals as COVID centers. 
and yeah. all of the anybody who had any kind of anything that could be called a COVID uh, COVID symptoms, serious COVID symptoms, were sent to that one hospital, and not just to that one hospital, but to only one section of that hospital, and the rest of them were essentially empty of COVID patients because, Desolated. and this is part of the, part of the planning, right? The pandemic, so-called supposed pandemic planning to stop the spread of it was you just isolate one, you make one hospital, the center for uh, COVID patients. And you tell, well, yeah, you can, you don't they didn't necessarily tell people to not go to hospital uh, for other things, but people didn't go to hospital. Um, this is something that's very well known as well because you had various different government uh, ministers at a certain point in in May and June telling people, listen, go to hospital if you need to because the vast majority of the population who need who would have otherwise gone to hospital for various treatments, people, either cancer patients or people who, you know, had various symptoms or illnesses that needed ongoing care or needed uh, tests for certain things, they didn't go uh, because they were afraid because of the hysteria. So they were, that's, that's they were why afraid to were. get it themselves. <coughs> they were afraid to get, but they also thought they were doing their part as well. They didn't want to. I just have a something. I'll stay yeah, at home right. and work it off myself. Right. When in fact, many of them should have gone because now, how many stories have we heard where right. people are finding out six months later they missed a cancer screening? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll and look. Now at, they have we'll, cancer. We'll look at that in a second. But they, uh, yeah, they didn't. They didn't. People didn't go to hospital. Um, so that's why you had a lot of these people going around hospitals. You might have seen them on 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 the web. First, people with cameras going to hospital and saying, "Where's the where's the where's the pandemic? This hospital's empty. They're walking around an empty hospital. That's because they haven't gone to the COVID, the one in their area, the one hospital that is the designated COVID center, and that's the hospital that this doctor in Derry is talking about. Where one section of that hospital has had very few, very few very few patients compared to previous uh, years." But it was, he was describing it as, as a war zone because what he's describing <clears throat> is one section of the hospital where they have stuffed all of the people that they believed were had COVID symptoms into that one area, and uh, and then and, and they weren't allowed to put them anywhere else in the hospital because they still had a few people in you know in, in other parts of the hospital that to contain the spread of the virus they had to concentrate them in one area of the hospital, and that part of the hospital was overflowing and like a war zone. Uh, and the point is, it's arguably it's, it was all unnecessary because the primary, you know, the most important factor about all of this is that, and that has been known even before March, like I said, from the Chinese experience and then through experience in Western countries after that, very quickly in March and April, <coughs> that um, that it was not a danger to the vast majority of the population. And I'm talking about, you know, 96, 97% of the population that doesn't fall into that category of <coughs> elderly with long-term underlying health conditions. There's only a very small percentage of the population who are, who are seriously ill in that way. And they're the people who, like I said before, should have been isolated and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and it, so none of these policies were necessary, you know. Um, if you just go, Scotty, to just to flesh out that point, there's Italy, the one in Italy, 99%. Uh, over 99% of coronavirus patients in Italy who died had other health problems. Yeah, th- that, that was reported months, of course, months ago. The response, yeah, and, and that's, that. not, that's the same case in the US. It was 94% in the US uh, from the CDC. Uh, in the UK, it's something like 94%. In Spain, about the same. It's all in the ha- mid to high 90s. Uh, the patients all were elderly 
And most of them elderly, but some of them slightly younger, but all of them, I, almost all of them, 95 plus percent, had serious long-term underlying health conditions. And like I said, most of them at or above the normal life expectancy. Um, these are the people that the governments, governments never really cared about before, that they didn't care when they died. Of course, the counter to that point is that, well, are you saying that those people don't they deserve just to be left to die if, if there's a, a new respiratory virus going around? And the answer is no. Um, they should be given care, obviously. But as, we've, as I said previously, not they weren't at the very beginning. They were not being given care. They were being denied primary health care by being, being dumped out of hospitals in expectation of large numbers of young people coming in, which was, like I said, like I keep saying, was pretty well discernible or known early on that that was not going to happen. There was not going to be a wave of people of all ages coming into hospitals. It was only this demographic. So um, the fact that 99 or 95% of the, the population have have uh, underlying health conditions, serious underlying health conditions, and are, are, qu- are very old, you know, it should inform your policy, you know what I mean, uh, in terms of how you look at this virus. I mean, it, you should not see it as something that just, you know, cuts a sway through the entire population and indiscriminately killing young and old. It's, it's, it's doing, it's the same, like I keep saying, it's the same, it's, uh, it poses the same danger to the same demographic as other uh, seasonal respiratory uh, viruses. And there's also... Yes, yeah, so the most common comorbidities of driving coronavirus, big one there is hypertension, i.e. that's high blood pressure. And people think high blood pressure is a normal thing, but high blood pressure is serious when it's really chronic high blood pressure. It's like an inflammation of all of your vascular system, basically. It's, 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 inflama- it's kind of systemic inflammation, and it's really bad when you get... It's like really highly correlated with, with uh, severe illness or death with if you have hypertension, hypertension and uh, a virus vir- 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 viral respiratory viruses yeah. in particular. Um, but other, like type 2 diabetes, very high as well, heart disease. Uh, so these are all people with chronic renal failure. These are all people who have this before they get the virus, right? Yeah. And the virus puts them, make, it just makes it too difficult for them to, to push through it and, and, and they die. And that's what happens all the time yeah. every year and nobody ever really cared very much about it before yeah. If just go to the next one Scotty uh, that's okay not that one and here I just got this today actually it's just the latest from the National Health Service in England <coughs> it's the I posted this frequently on my Facebook page every time they, they release it but it's it's their uh, data on COVID-19 deaths by age group and pre-existing condition and you see there that of the total uh number of deaths that they say was from COVID, I suppose, they describe it as 58,000. 56,000 had pre-existing conditions, and only 2,446 did not have pre-existing conditions. So that's a large, large majority. It's up in the high 90 percentage of people who, again, it it mirrors what we've known from Italy and Spain and everywhere else. And if you just go to the next one of those, it shows, again, it's not just from the same... National Health Service in England website, the uh, the type of pre type of pre existing condition. Um, so they're even saying here COVID nineteen deaths by type of pre existing condition. You know, um, asthma, chronic kidney disease, the same things, chronic neurological disorder. But inter- interestingly, I mean, it's been known as well, dementia, uh, chronic pulmonary disease. So these, are, the thing is. Uh, 
they say that COVID causes chronic pulmonary disease and or, or causes, you know, uh, acute respiratory disease, which is probably not that different from chronic pulmonary disease. Um, and, but these people, <laughs> these people are dying from COVID, supposedly, and COVID is obviously just coronavirus disease, and the symptoms of that disease are all of those things that those people already had. Yeah. That and that ultimately, very likely, given that they're all, uh, the majority of them are in their 80s, that they're going, they're going to die of that relatively soon anyway. It, and that's not being, you know, insensitive. I'm just saying that those people are in, have a very short expected lifespan. Yeah. When you're 84 and you have long-term kidney disease or chronic pulmonary disease or, or long-term hypertension or chronic diabetes and you're in your 80s, you don't have a long life expectancy anyway. Yeah. And like I keep saying, those are the people who have been dying, supposedly, as a result of or from this virus. It hasn't been healthy young people. Sure, there's been, you can pull out some statistics and stuff and show that there have been people, young people who have died from it, etc. And the media made sure to inform everybody of that repeatedly when it happened. But I can equally show you media reports that hardly every, anybody knew about or heard about from previous years of peop, young people, 14-year-olds, 26-year-olds, 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, perfect health dying from the flu. So I, I, one article I was looking at had a list of 12 people in the UK that they just picked from a particular year uh, a few years ago who all, they reported on it, the Daily Mail it was, that they had all died from the flu. And so that's not, yeah. the fact that it, some pe young people die from this particular virus is not is not unique to this virus. It happens with the other seasonal flu-like illnesses or viruses as well. Yeah. I remember when we started looking at the comparative flu numbers when they started last year. At first we were like, okay, hang on a second. The case to fatality rate, ratio, that's, that's the key figure because people want to say, they want to have an idea of how many are dying once they've caught something. Then we can decide whether or not to panic, do something, or just, you know, tell people to calm down. It became apparent right away that that was not an easy thing to do because comparing previous winter flu seasons with SARS-CoV-2 cycle of cases going up and how many were dying with it, was very difficult because so many assumptions went into the earlier statistics about what constituted a death from right. a strain of influenza. Right. For example, in the very latest stat you have from the NHS mm -hmm. in the UK, that number of 54,000 are, are dead from COVID but in one table, and then in the other table they explained that, well, 52,000 some, the vast majority, had at least one comorbidity. Most of them had two or three. That contains in it an assumption for the middle table. The middle table says, strictly speaking, only 2,000 and something people in the United have Kingdom actually died from have COVID. actually died from COVID. Yeah. But that contains the mother of all assumptions, which is that the health system is 100% perfect and it knows exactly what health status every single living being within the system is at. Because I would say to you, what if, this is a reasonable thing to ask, I think, what if those 2,000 people for whom we don't know which, if any, we, we, they seem to just drop dead. They got the virus and actually dropped dead, like those videos from China. 
But I would say to you, no, the health system is not perfect. Mm-hmm. We don't know that they did not, in fact, have underlying issues mm-hmm. yeah, for yeah. which the virus came along and knocked them out. Absolutely. That and the lot. same goes for the the years in the past. Mm-hmm. It's, it's someone, did someone really die from the flu? They were young. There was no apparent problem. They had been at a rugby match the day before. They were in top health, it seemed. Mm-hmm. No one ever did autopsies. No. They never on those people they never, cared, they never cared before. So somebody really wanted to know. It got really interested in this virus in particular. And that brings me back to the claims at the beginning by reputable, you know, known uh, world-class epidemiologists who said that this virus showed signs of not being natural. Uh, of course, others came out and said, no, that's false, all that kind of stuff. You know, but still, that, that point was made by respectable, knowledgeable people. Yeah. And that would, you know, suggest to me that that, that would explain go some way to explain why they have such an interest in analyzing this particular virus up the wazoo when, as you were just saying, they never cared about previous, there's been new strains, new mutations of flu viruses fairly regularly, but they never cared about them in the past. And they never, they, in 2017, 18, the winter of 2017, 18, or for, and so for that year of, I think of 2018, maybe, or maybe it was 2017, one or the other, the UK reported an estimated 50 some thousand, 50,000 excess deaths from the flu they estimated it but they didn't care they just reported it. there you go 50,000 excess deaths 50, this year uh, the official data there that you saw is the upper 50s or around 60,000 deaths from this particular virus in this past year since March even so it's not the full year so um, there's something strange about the response to this virus can't be explained. It's phenomenal based on, uh, based on the you know the, the effects of this yeah. virus on on the population. It's like a, like we've just explained. It's 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 it follows a similar pattern to other seasonal respiratory viruses in terms of who it's dangerous to, and the government never cared about other seasonal respiratory illnesses or vir- viruses that cause se- respiratory illnesses. Um, they never cared before, even when the estimated deaths in previous years was similar to the, the, the claimed deaths from this virus this year. They never cared. And this year, they really, really cared a lot. So that's, that's the big question. Why care so much when there isn't that much different? And you knew from early on that it wasn't that much different from other similar coronaviruses. Why the intense interest in this virus to the point we are vaccinating, we are testing, trying to test the entire, the entire population and your development? Well, we know possibly why vaccines are developed i mean one obviously vaccines are developed let me just say it for for the record vaccines are developed by vaccine manufacturers to generally speaking to to improve people's health and stop them dying from you know deadly viruses but uh, there's also another angle where vaccine big pharma and vaccine makers you know make a lot of money from them as well so there's a financial motiv- motivation i don't think that's that's a, a it's i don't think it's rude to say that right will this thing finally lift well, yeah, but I mean, of course, the explanation, the obvious explanation for that is that it's um, the vaccines which have been rolled out are being rolled out. So if they want to, you know, turn down the dial on the, on the COVID lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera, then uh, they can do that using the vaccines as an explanation for why they can do it now. I mean, they're making sounds about that already in the UK. They're talking about sometime in March, they're going to be able to, the foreign minister, I think, said that in March they hope they'll be able to start to wind down the lockdowns and stuff, you know. And there's a lot less, you know. They're still talking about it now, you know, but that's the kind of, I think, 
I mean, obviously, and, and this isn't a conspiracy theory. I mean, it's in actually, it was in, in, in Sage, the, the British government kind of emergency group on, on uh, that directs emer- national emergencies and that kind of stuff that took, took control over during the, the first uh, pandemic in, in March and stuff. Orwellian. Sage, I know, yeah. Sage. They're not, they're not Sage with them at all. The wise elders. Sage in a creepy way. But they, um, they, they published, you know, meeting minutes of their meetings where they talked about uh, you know exaggerating things in order to get to encourage compliance among the population and the same is true for vaccines because the government sees the vaccines as as their it's their responsibility to get the vaccines out there so uh, nobody any any rational person would accept the likelihood that the government especially at this time during a vaccine rollout is you know maybe increasing the propaganda increasing the messaging let's say in uh, in the media, in order to increase the the, the vaccine uptake, because they know there's a resistance among population, a decent section, depending on the country, a decent section of the population to getting vaccines. So you wanna hype the hype the you know emotional messaging in order to get as many people as possible to take up basically fear, spread as much fear as possible in a certain sense. Um, the British media has yeah all in order kinds to get as many people to take the vaccine. Yeah, oh. they have all kinds of figures. Um, Everyone above eighteen, everyone by June, yeah, well vaccinated. We'll see. They're running by mid February, fifteen million. Maybe they're running into some problems with the with the Pfizer vaccine. You know, right now, uh, particularly that's the mRNA vaccine, the one that um, is this the one where two dozen people their yeah, deaths 30, are associated with it. In, thirty-two in, in Norway, Norway, yeah, thirty-two in Norway. Um, and that's not that's not conjecture. That's what's been reported. That's the Norwegian government said that. And Norwegian, Norwegian health authority said that, so yeah, so they're wondering if they should stop. Well, they've basically said it's and most of it's been people seventy five and older, and maybe with some health conditions, not sure. Um, and so they're saying maybe it's a good idea not to give that those mRNA vaccines, the new ones that haven't really been tested on a pop on, on a white population before and are uh, a, a different technology from normal vaccines that those should be. You shouldn't be giving those to elderly people who are in fr- frail health, basically, uh, because they seem to be dying quite uh, in quite in significant numbers. And actually, the numbers are significant because in in uh, thirty, I think it's about thirty people, thirty-two people in Norway, and the number of people they had vaccinated um, was about thirty thousand. <clears throat> so, the death rate from officially, technically, from not just technically, officially from the vaccine, from that mRNA vaccine, as far as it's gone so far, on three uh, three hundred thousand people, or sorry, thirty thousand people and thirty deaths is one in a thousand, which is a death rate of zero point one percent, which is similar to the death rate from the 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 virus. Right. So you can take your chances. I mean, you can take your. I mean, you can. I mean, you know, a logical conclusion from that would be that, uh, especially people who are 75 years and older, um, that their chances of dying from the virus are the same as, as dying from the vaccine. That's official statistics. I mean, there's, you know, YouTube can't uh, censor us for this because this is, uh, you know, you can go and look at the Norwegian Health Ministry's website and do the, do the numbers yourself. And that's also at 0.1% death rate at this point from that um, uh, Pfizer vaccine is 10,000 times greater than the death rate from the flu vaccine. Because the flu vaccine has a death rate of about uh, uh, one in a 
100,000 or no, something? No, it's one in, it's 10,000 times greater, so it's about one in 10 million people die from, officially uh, die from, as a result of getting the flu vaccine. So it's 10,000 times, uh, a 10,000 times higher death rate from this vaccine than from the flu vaccine. Um, so yeah, there's something very strange about the whole thing, and it's not being, a lot of people are talking about it, but... You know, it's not being discussed in the mainstream, really. The media is falling down on the job yet again, as they have done it's, many it's times incredible. before. It's incredible. They're falling down the job. There's an enormous gulf in information that's just begging to be filled. And, of course, what's it, what it's getting filled with is often the most crazy stuff. Right. Un- understandably, there's a vacuum there. People are asking questions. Yeah. It's been going on a year now because it goes back past March. It was this um, uh, this week last year that it was really Came starting in, to in, spread in from Wuhan, China, China to yeah. panic about it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So let me just look at my list there again, Scotty, uh, of my wonderful tabs. Uh, yeah, that's the thingy. What's the last one? Uh, did that one. Go back. Oh, you can go through. Yeah. Most excess deaths. Is that... Go Scroll down. Yeah. So that's the one that says 91,000 more than the average in five previous years, right? That's interesting because I just showed this the, the, the data from the NHS mm. in England, which shows that uh, their total is the upper 50,000, 50, 58,000 or something dead from coronavirus with only 2,000 actually not having... Not having um, a known identified comorbidity. Yeah, yeah. So, but that there's a shortfall then in that between there are about 60,000 from the official stat of da- data from the NHS and this other source wherever they got their source from wherever they got their, their data from total excess deaths is 91,000 so only 60 have had a PCR test uh, before they died you could say that the other 30,000 are people who died um, they're assumed deaths or something well the other 60,000 are people who died you could claim if you wanted to if you wanted to hype the coronavirus threat you could say that those 30,000 people just are people who didn't didn't have a, a PCR test right so the total number is 90,000 but NHS England only recognises 60,000 because they're the only the ones who have had a PCR test that's how they define a COVID death if they have tested positive for uh, for for SARS-CoV-2 via PCR test but as we talked about earlier in the show um that no total of 90,000 this causes a problem here it's a bit of a conundrum maybe somebody else can figure it out but of those 90,000 excess deaths official for last year um with 60,000 of them having had a people who had a positive PCR test before they died there's that figure we came up with from other mainstream sources of 40,000 uh excess deaths in uh, in okay. res- residential homes and 24,000 uh, in care homes that did not have uh, were not associated with COVID so you can't put those two together because that gives you a total of 155,000 obviously it's the same figures but one group is saying that of the 90,000 excess deaths uh, 60,000 of them had a PCR test positive PCR test and therefore COVID deaths but there's other data saying that 64,000 of those 91,000, because 91,000 is the total excess death, 64,000 of them were not COVID-related. Okay. So there's obviously some 
maneuvering going on here with data and claims and claims of COVID deaths and what is a COVID death and what isn't a COVID death. And does it, do they have COVID on their death certificate? Do they not have COVID on their death certificate? Did they have a PCR test? Does the PCR the, test matter if someone's in hospital and they've had long-term chronic kidney failure and they're 85 years old? Um, it's someone looking at that and saying, well, they obviously didn't die from COVID, right? They, they, they came to hospital and their kidneys failed and they had a positive PCR test, but I'm not putting that down as COVID because <laughs> their primary health concern, condition was kidney failure and they died of kidney failure. And the PCR test doesn't mean that they died of COVID. The PCR test at 45 cycles, like we were saying, will pick up anything. Yeah. You'll find a tiny remnant of, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in a person like that's body. But how can you justifiably claim that that's a COVID death when all you've done through a PCR test is find a tiny bit of the virus in their body? Did they have any symptoms of COVID? Or when they were admitted to hospital, as they had been multiple times over the past 10 years with chronic kidney failure, and then finally succumb to it. Was it chronic kidney failure that killed them? Uh, you know, yeah. make a judgment there, but you know, you know what the saying is. You know what the, the reasonable one would be. Yeah. Well, for someone to want to write a headline like that, more deaths th- in 2020 than what in any year since World War II? Yeah, yeah. Well, they say that, and then they say, actually, it's not really since World War II because it'd be adjusted for age uh, and population and various different other parameters, it's actually only the worst since 2003. But that, that headline is an example of the, of the media, of yellow journalism, you know, hyping stuff up to get clicks. Yeah. You know what I mean? They've got to do that. And people aren't, aren't, a lot of people aren't aware enough of that. And they need to keep that in mind all the time that the media does that kind of thing specifically to, to make money, to get you to read their website. Because when you read their website, when you click on that hysterical, exaggerated, sensationalist title, as soon as you click on that website, they're getting money because there's ads popping up in front of your face as well, you know. So, uh, and that's the same with that Derry Hospital one. The, 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 the title of it was Hospital was like a war zone, says Derry Doctor. But then you go down and read in the article and he says, actually, no, he says it was, he one specifically unit. says in the COVID center that was. And then, but then by reading that, that leads you into lots more questions. It's like, okay, especially if you have the data that I got from the Freedom of Information request showing that there were a lot less people in the hospital than there has been in the previous three years during that time when he said it was like a war zone. And you say, okay, so it, it was his COVID center that was a war zone. But the hospital was relatively empty, 30% down on admissions, so it was relatively, relatively empty, the rest of the hospital. So why does the media, why did the writers of the, of the article say that the hospital was like a war zone? Because that then conveys to the reader... That, there's a, that this hospital is overflowing. And you know what's going to happen to people who need to go to that hospital? They won't go. They're not going to go. They're not going to go for their cancer screenings. They're not going to go for the feel of pain in their chest. And they're going to die at home. They're going to be added to that statistic of the rising number of 40,000 so far of people who just died, excess number of people who died in their homes compared to last year. Heart disease. There's another one I got there, Scotty. Um, the percentage of increase in, it's up, some, up something like 50, 45, 50% increase in heart attacks and coronary deaths from heart disease yeah. and cancer deaths up a similar amount uh, in women, uh, breast cancer up a, uh, a similar 50-60%, uh, dementia deaths up 50-60% um, compared to previous, the average over the past five years. So, in, in, and in most countries, you look at the data, that's the same across those countries because all of these countries follow these same policies these hysterical uh, 
really you know counterproductive and yeah. you know destructive <coughs> policies in terms of how they what they did to the population what they did to the healthcare system uh, and caused the same the same excess deaths unnecessarily by essentially depriving as a result of it all the end result is you deprived uh, people in one way or another of primary health care people who needed it so of course i mean they cancel cancer screens they're canceling elective surgeries yeah. they're canceling all these things um not only are the hospitals canceling people turning them away but also as we we're just saying when people read headlines like this yellow journalism headlines they're scared because they hear at hospitals like war zone. I'm not going there because well, it's who not wants just, to be in a war zone? And not just a war zone, but it's full of COVID or something, right? So I'm not going there, and I'm just going to stay at home. And I'm not going to get the treatment I need. And I'm going to die. And those people didn't have COVID. They're isolated in their homes and have been for a long time. They're not contracting any virus. They're dying from not receiving primary health care because of a hysterical government response to a virus that was known from the very beginning was not very much different from a normal seasonal flu-like virus. And the question is, why did they have that hysterical response? And the only thing I can think of is at the beginning, at least at the beginning, they were, were convinced that it was not natural. And they put in place these extreme measures of locking the entire population down. But then when they realized that it was not, uh, while it may have been man-made, it was not deadly to the vast majority of the population it wasn't even da wasn't even dangerous to the vast majority of the population and they should have cut out those measures they should have quickly rolled those measures up and put them away and let things go back to normal and start providing primary health care to the population stop scaring them and encourage them to get back out and live their normal lives and, and to take care of themselves but they didn't do that so why would governments decide not to do that do they decide they're on a good thing and wanted to you know, well, this have is, some more fun this but is the <coughs> this is the question for now um, I won't even attempt to, an to answer it because the show's running on, but this thing has, it's picked up steam and it's got, you know, it's got, it's sort of, it's got its own momentum now. Talk, people are talking about new normals, new realities, new systems. You're, you're talking about big finance, long-term right. plans, big agendas coming in and saying, wow, we can do that with populations? Yeah. You remember that whole stuff we wanted to do to green the planet, to green the civilization yep. of that? Yeah, uh, it's like. So it was hijacked in a certain sense. The, yeah. the, the hysterical, albeit justifiable, understandable hysterical response at the beginning when they saw what they could do. And in fact, they actually. Um, Someone said that some someone articulated someone in the British government said that, that they, they, were, they were shocked. It might have been, even been Boris Johnson or someone like that said that they were very surprised. At the uptake in that people would do obedience. what they told them to do. And yeah. then they went, hang on a minute, we can use this for a different uh, purpose. The problem is that other purpose would not fly with the population. They would not accept these lockdowns and social distancing, etc., etc., to green the planet or to convert, to, to green the economy. But they will accept it if they're continuing, continually told or continuing to be told that there's a deadly pandemic that's a danger to their lives. Uh, so at this point, that's the objective analysis on the whole situation. Yeah. That's as far as you can go. That's the objective uh, take on what's actually going on and why it's why it's going on and why it's continuing to go on. Uh, you know, it's not pretty, but it's, you know, we do our best to, to deal with it and, and, and work through it and, uh, and keep our eye on the ball and, you know, not believe the hype and... Uh, 
you know, try and figure out, try and see through it all. And, and you know, it all, it, what's missing for most of the population is not, you're not expect, I'm not asking people to be, to, to jump in the crazy conspiracy bandwagon or, or anything like that or start seeing the world in a radically different way. I'm simply, I think people simply need to do something that is, yeah, is not unreasonable and it's to have a healthy scepticism for government dictates and things that the media and the government say in unison to simply question it and don't swallow it wholesale even even or may, maybe most particularly when it's the kind of messaging that is designed to provoke fear and and and, and is an emo- provoke an emotional response in people that's when you m- most need to be skeptical but unfortunately that's when it's most difficult for most people to be skeptical because they're put into a, a fear kind of fight or flight or state of terror and it's hard for them to think rationally when they're in that state but that's when they most need to do it yeah because that's that's you know rationally that's the most likely time when there's some kind of skullduggery afoot yeah but it's it's absolutely critical because and i'm not saying it is afoot i'm just saying that's when it's most likely to happen yeah you know because the government will try and pass things off on the people if it's ever going to do that it will try and you know, get around people and get them to do things that aren't necessarily in their in, in their own benefit when they're in a state when they're most compliant. Anybody, that's when anybody would do do something like that. It's an opportunity to do that. I'm not saying they are doing it, but I'm saying that's when you need to pay the most attention and to be most critical of, uh, or think most critically of of about the information that you're that you're being uh, given. My prediction for what it's worth—they okay. are going to wind it down, but I think, and I think it'll be over the next few months. And but I think the effects by that time of a year of this kind of uh, lockdowns and acclimatizing people to those kind of new social norms—they'll, the government has, or the people, the Great Reset people, the World Economic Forum, all that kind of stuff, who have put out this information about wanting to green the economy and change the way people work and change the way people live you know, for all f- for our benefit, right? Um, but they think that that year-long period of conditioning of the population to a new normal will will have, is sufficient. And that's when they can wrap it up because they know that it's not going away. And I mean, you've heard people repeatedly say that there's no going back to the old way we did things. You know, they say that at the very, almost at the beginning, you know. Yeah. This is going to change the world forever. This is, there was a meme being put out there by someone from very early on that yeah. this was going to radically change. And people were like, what, what the hell are you talking about? This is just a temporary thing. This is just a blip and a bump in the road. Like, and, and it's like, what are you, what, what, are you on crack or something? What are you talking about? But they kept it going long enough, and I think, for a lot of people anyway, that that uh, period of conditioning would be enough to, to affect. They ho- I mean, I think these people that I'm talking about who are pushing this agenda, this greening, uh, climate change preventing agenda, think that they've got enough material now in a certain sense of of, of, of people having been acclimatized to to this new normal to that it'll stick yeah and then they can wrap it up but they won't they won't wrap it up fully you know they'll keep the messaging going do you think they're right do you think most people are on the compliance side with this even despite the protests and the apparent signs of popular resistance well, here and there well one big thing was people, people believe one big thing was pe- people teleworking you know working from yeah. home and stuff and uh, 
just not being out and about so often and but primary very much like the the zoom meetings and all that kind of stuff you know people not having to go into offices to work and all that kind of stuff and they're, they're, they're talking about that as well of people you know basically people you know working from home for the rest of their lives you know that people who have been doing that for the past six seven eight months or whatever that just keep doing that you know and that could be a sizable percentage of the population and it, for a lot of people it's appealing don't have to go to the office whatever you know I don't think it's a good move, but it, it that could be one one agenda or one aim that, that will have been achieved by this, that you'll have a significant percentage of the workforce will no longer be going to work. <sighs> Who knows? We're a social species. Most of us cannot live like that. Yeah. Well, we're going to find out, you know. It's all speculative, obviously, at this point, and we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, I'm hearing rumors in the in the, in, in cyberspace, murmurs, and the Twitter sphere, um, from your insiders, Joe. from my inside sources, that from your inside. My what is it? Your book, my big book of uh, inside information. That's where I get all my fantastic, uh, all my all my inside information. And uh, yeah, that that'll be wound up in the next few months to some extent, to a large extent. Uh, but some things will stay. Hopefully, if not the if if only the mentality. In a certain sense, they hope to keep the mentality among the population. And of course, now that people have got used to lockdowns and know what it's all about, you just have to say the, lock, the word lockdown. The government just has to say the word lockdown uh, in the future, and boom, everybody knows what to, what to do. Can't stop the signal now.